Well, this morning we are thinking about the church, particularly the church and why we belong. I wondered if you've ever asked that question before. Maybe this is one of those times when you've come to church occasionally, or maybe this is your first time at church. I don't know your situation particularly. It's, it's hard for me in that sense. I'm not making excuses, but this is my second time to Kerrang in, in a matter of, well, probably years, and the last time was only a few weeks ago. And So I'm kind of like a fill-in today and thought, well, let's talk about church. Why not? Otherwise, other, you know, otherwise we kind of probably ignore something that I think is, is something so fundamental to what we do, but we forget why we do it. Why is it that I would come here, that you would come here, that we would gather this morning? And since I'm kind of a new person still to this congregation, I thought I'd talk about a time when I went to another congregation and I was particularly new. Not to, to bag out how we do church or to dismiss church and in all its kind of traditions and the things that we do, but just to remind you that sometimes when we come to church, we often ask that question, do I belong here? I once went to a church in Wagga, in New South Wales, where I ended up going to this church for a long time, so what I'm about to say doesn't discredit this church or why I continued to go, but I went to church and I was evidently new. I was different. I went to this church and I... So rocked up as a young person, university student, and I was wearing boots, and not everyone else was wearing boots. Uh, I was wearing kind of daggy clothes, so I looked a bit different. I, you, you could tell I was different, and I was pretty shy. When I was 19, I was probably incredibly shy. You probably don't believe that, but I was. So I turned up to church, I was shy, no one was really talking to me, and I asked myself the question, do I belong here? Well, we started, we kicked off with church, we started our first song, and as we were singing, you know, I was standing by myself in this pew, I noticed this, this, this bloke starts running up from the other side of the pew, running up behind me, and he grabs my arms from behind, and he starts making me clap to the song. And I ask myself, do I belong here? I ask myself, do I belong here? It's the question, I think, that plagues many people as they come to church. Now, that guy, uh, he and I became friends, and I realized he's just different, like I'm different. But he gathered, I gathered with a bunch of different people together for church, all from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different languages, different, different places, yet we gather for church. And as we gather, I think sometimes we ask that question, do I belong here? The question of belonging, though, is not just a church question, is it? I think the question of do I belong here is also the question of our generation. Facebook lives on this question. So I'm not sure if you know about Facebook, all of you necessarily may have heard of it, but uh, Facebook is this thing that has become the ethereal church, the ethereal place to gather. If, if the word ecclesia in the New Testament means church to gather, it just means to gather, Facebook is a place for most of our society. There are more people on Facebook now than there are many nations in the world, in one population of a nation. Facebook is so big, but the reason it works is because people scour. They get on the internet and they just look through Facebook all day and into the night because they're asking that question, do I belong there? Do I belong here? Do I belong with other people? Do I belong in community? It's, an, it's a question, an initial question, which is really about, do I belong with other people? 
in Victoria alone, they reckon, statistics show, and you, know, you can use stats for anything, but they reckon 60 to 80% of young adults leave the church once they finish their education. We have an average in Victoria of two people per year, per church, coming to faith. Do I belong here? Do I belong at church? Is an important subject now. In the past generation, in my parents, in my grandparents' generation, people went to church. We just did. But now it's, it's a question of choice. More than that, it's a question of, do I belong there in that church? Why would I go in the first place? And for Christians, critically, when people start saying things like, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church, we know that something's happened. There's been some loss in understanding of what is this gathering about? And so we come to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Of course, we have in the context of Hebrews 10, Ezekiel 36, which we read also. But Hebrews 10 is where we're going. And Hebrews 10 is one of those, as I said, purple passages. You know, it's not quite Presbyterian blue, but it's, it's purple. It's one of those passages we go to a lot. And it's a purple passage because it reminds us of what church is about. But there's something in Hebrews 10 that I think is often missed as to why we gather at church. We start in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 speaks at verse 19. It speaks of what it is to be Christian. So I want to say at this point, this morning you may have come to church and you may not be a Christian. But you're very welcome. It's great to have you here. I don't know you personally that well, maybe that's you. And I want to say say and encourage you to keep coming to church. If you're not Christian, come and, and see why it is that these people, people like me, who are Christians, gather. We note in Hebrews 10 verse 19, we gather not because we're good people. Not because we're, we're kind of perfect people that have cleaned up our act and we kind of put on our nice clothes and we come to church to impress someone else. We don't do that. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 19. This is the beginning of what it means to be a Christian and why we gather. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near, into verse 22. That is, a Christian person, we know from Hebrews 10, we know from all the scripture, a Christian person is not someone who cleans up their act and then comes to God. A Christian person is someone that knows that all other religions in the world, every single religion you can find in the world, that you could meet someone from that group or you could read about them, every single religion in the world is what you've got to do. You've got to do something to earn favour. Every other religion in the world is what you've got to do. But the gospel is Jesus has done it. You see the difference? In Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 21, we see the difference. Every other religion in the world, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, Buddhism has become very naturally kind of cool for Australians. It's not really Buddhism that they take on, it's kind of an Australian version of Buddhism, which is I don't careism, really. 
And they just get Buddhism and they say, well, I'm just going to be my own person, my own self. And we live in Castle Maine, there's a lot of Buddhists around. They're not real Buddhists. If you know Buddhism, Buddhism is a completely works-based religion of even violence. Every other religion, what you've got to do, Jesus Christ has done it. Notice in Hebrews 10. It is Christ who died for our sin on the cross. He died once for all. He sat down on the throne. His work is finished. So we read in verse 18, there's no longer any offering for sin. Verse 19, therefore, we have confidence. Christians have confidence. So you would have better meet a Christian and say, what is it that you're a Christian? Why, is you, why are you a Christian? And they should be able to tell you, it's not because I'm good or I cleaned up my life. It's because of Christ. Let me tell you about him. Brothers and sisters, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have confidence, don't we? See, if I had confidence in myself and coming before God, if I was to go into the courtroom of God, if my life ended tonight and I'm before God, if that last day on the judgment day and I was to stand before God who is majestic and mighty on his throne and say, but I'm a good person, it just does not cut it. You know that because you know me. And even if this is the second time you've met me in, in recent weeks, you know what I'm like because you know what you're like. We're all in the same boat, this human condition, this brokenness. I'm not perfect before God. The only way I can ever stand before God and survive is because of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus. He died for our sin and he rose for our hope. And this is the message of Hebrews 10. This is the gospel. The gospel's a message, it's good news. All other religions of the world are bad news because they tell you, you've got to be better. You've got to be better. You've got to be gooder, if I can make up a word. You've got to be something. Clean up your act. You've got to earn favour. But no, the gospel, Jesus has done it for you. Grace, grace, grace. Undeserved favour. That's the gospel. Totally grace from God to you. You can't earn it. You can never pay it back. You can't pay God back a debt. He's done it for you. The only thing you can do is trust Him. Trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord. That's the only response we can offer. It's like that old hymn trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Grace gives us confidence, doesn't it? So if you're not a Christian here this morning and you're wondering, what is it about Christians? Are they good people? Let me tell you, no. We're working on good works and we do good works not to earn salvation, but because we have salvation. I'm not always a good person. In fact, I'm not a good person, I'm a sinner. But let me tell you about Jesus. He is our saviour. That's the confidence that Christians have, which means, verse 22 in Hebrews 10, we can draw near. We can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can draw near. 
Lots of people think. Lots of people think if they want to get to know God, then they need to clean up their own act first. So I've, I've heard that, you know, that sort of reasoning, I'm a Christian but I don't need to go to church, but I've also heard that other one, and if I had a dollar for every time I heard it, I wouldn't need to fundraise for the student work that I do. It's that kind of phrase that says, I'll tell you what, I'd like to go to church, I'd like to kind of get to know God, but if I walked into that building it'd fall down because I'm so bad. You've heard that one before? I'd never walk into a church because the building would fall down, I'm so evil. You know, I'm too bad for God. What I need to do is I need to clean up myself first and then I can go to church or then I can kind of get to know God. That's what people think. There are a lot of Australians that think somehow I've got to clean up my life first and then I go to God and he'll be impressed with me. They've got it the complete wrong way around. And they need to hear the grace of the gospel. Good news. Here's the good news, friends. You can never do that. You can't do it. In fact, you don't need to. The good news is, that's the point. You can't clean up yourself before you go before God. He does that for you. You go to him as messed up and as sinful as you are, and you can draw near. You can draw near to God because of Jesus. That's the message for those who are not yet Christians, who perhaps today need to turn to Jesus and trust in him. But do you know what? Even Christians get this the wrong way around. I've met Christians, know them now, that that spend their life worrying they're not good enough for God. They need to be better to impress him. To kind of say, look at me, I'm, I'm doing better now, aren't I? But what inadvertently happens is that Christians believe and are even taught accidentally to rely upon themselves rather than the gospel. To rely upon myself and my own righteousness and my own holiness rather than Christ and his righteousness that he gives, his holiness that he sets me apart. We cannot clean up ourselves, we cannot draw near on our own merit, we can only draw near because of what Christ has done for us. Christians have confidence and we can draw near. We can draw near to God. And therefore we have some imperatives in Hebrews 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you become a Christian, that is, if you turn from the world's ways and and all the religious ways of the average Australian, average Australians are very religious, they will be very good people to do very good things and say, yeah, I'm right with God. But if you put aside that, all that rubbish that Paul talks about in Philippians 3, what he counts as garbage, literally the word he uses is poo, what he counts as all that rubbish, he puts it aside and he says, I can only trust in Christ. If we do that, then hold fast to that. Stay firm trusting in Jesus. Don't move to trust in anything else or even self. Let us hold fast, friends. Being a Christian is hard, isn't it? Being a Christian is hard because to be a Christian in Australia now is radically different. It's radically different. Circumstances have changed in the last 50 years. 50 years ago, to be a Christian was kind of normal. 
sometimes people were Christian, but they didn't even know what that meant, but everyone was a Christian. Now, it's very different. Gatherings like this are small. The number of Christians in Australia, it's a small percentage, and therefore to be a Christian is hard. It's hard because we're really a minority, and a minority that takes a lot of flack for all the problems of the world. Nero blamed us for the burning of Rome, because he was a crazy man, and he did it himself, we know that now, but Nero blamed the Christians, and the world wants to blame the Christians for all the problems. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to hold fast. We need Hebrews 10 to remind us to do so. Hold fast the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised, he is faithful. See, because of what Jesus has done, we can persevere as a Christian. The saints can persevere, they really can. Because of Jesus. But there will be times when we are tempted to waver. We will be tempted to waver. I think sometimes it's easy for us to kind of, in Australia, dream what it's like to be persecuted. Because we don't get persecuted. We get prosecuted maybe. You know, kind of get spoken against. But we don't really get violence like they do in other countries where Christians are really killed for being Christian. But I think that sort of pressure, although it hasn't hit our shores yet, that sort of pressure of being a Christian and being hard to be a Christian manifests itself in other ways. And it looks like this. It's Monday, you're at work, university, school, doesn't matter where it is, it's a normal sort of Australian place to be on a Monday, at lunchtime, probably. Tools are down, work's not going on, just sort of sitting around talking and one of your friends finds out that little secret you've got. They find out, they say, are you a Christian? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because you know you're the only one there perhaps. In a country town, there's few Christians and few Christians perhaps of your own age, whatever demographic you are, you're a Christian? Do people still believe that today? You believe that Jesus existed? You believe that he died on a cross and that he rose again? Well, you believe in fairy tales, they might say. We know that we will be tempted to waver. We will be tempted in those moments to say, yeah, no, I'm not a Christian. Uh, Yeah, I I don't really go to church regularly. Whatever it is, we, we are tempted But just like our heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, in that very next chapter, they're all listed there, all the heroes of the faith. Some of them are stoned, they're sawn in two. They were tempted to waver. But we can hold fast because Jesus helps us to hold fast. And he does this in a particular way in Hebrews 10. Jesus gives us his spirit, And strengthens us, but he also gives us another gift in Hebrews 10 that helps us hold fast. And that gift is all the odd people you see sitting around you right now. He gives us the church. In Hebrews 10, Jesus gives us, we see the church, people, each other, to encourage us to hold fast, to encourage us to remember that it's Jesus 
He's the reason we can draw near to encourage us to remember to keep trusting in Jesus and so he gives us the church. He gives us the church so that we can, verse 24, literally stir each other up. Hebrews 10 verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you notice? The church, with the church which is such a group of, if I, I'm not sort of name calling here, I'm putting myself in this group, we're oddballs really aren't we? We're just odd people in many senses. That is, we don't normally fit together. We don't normally, there'd be no reason we normally gather together like this. If I was going to gather with a group of people that's like me, I would gather with those that perhaps, you know, know, ag types, farmer types necessarily, maybe my own age group, and who really love rugby union football. That's who I'd gather with, probably. But why would I gather with people who are all age groups and all nationalities and don't just like farming and don't just like rugby. Why would we do that? We're gathered in Christ, but we're also gathered in Christ to encourage each other to hold fast. I love how the, the NIV uses uh, verse 24. It translates there to spur one another on. I like that. It's kind of agricultural, isn't it? You know, put some spurs on your boots and actually spur each other on to hold fast. We are to encourage other Christians to love and good works. Because we don't do good works because, you know, to earn salvation. We know that. We do it because we have salvation. But we are to spur one another on to hold fast, to stay strong, to stay trusting in Jesus. And that is God's gift to us, is each other. Sometimes, though, we come to church and we look at each other and we think, I don't like that person very much. You know, I don't get on with them very well. They're so talkative or they're, they're so kind of different. They're so young or they're so old or they're so something and we, we kind of find personalities clash and they think they're so smart or they think they're so witty or funny. Whatever it is, we find so many reasons not to like each other, don't we? In fact, I think we're experts at it. We find so many reasons to pull apart someone else, to not like someone. But here is the miracle of the church. You can get a bunch of people that would naturally like each other and they might even think to themselves, I don't like that person, they're just great on me, but you know what? I can love them. I can love them. And I can spur them on to love and good works. Because we meet together as the church, as Christ's body. We need each other. We need each other to spur each other on. And in Hebrews 10, after we look at Hebrews 10, we see this need to do this. We actually see, I think, three things, three points of application that come out of this as to why we gather as church. Three points. The first one is, why church is? Because, number one, We belong here. We belong. See, Christians, first and foremost, belong to Jesus, don't we? And if we belong to Jesus, then we belong to his body, which is the church. In Ephesians 1, we see that Christ gathers his people by grace. The good news of the gospel is that he's done it. 
and he gathers them to belong to each other. So we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 to 13, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of of the one body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It doesn't matter whether you're a Greek or a Jew or a slave or a free or whatever you are. We belong to each other. We belong to each other. The church belongs to each other. It's not your church or my church. It's Jesus' church and each other. They're your people. They're your brothers and sisters. And so that's the first reason we gather. That's why we do church. Second reason, which we've looked at in detail and in the passage, is to encourage each other. So we belong, firstly, and secondly, to encourage each other. Because we have bad days, don't we? We can have bad days and we can have good days, but in those bad days, we need each other. I take comfort from the Bible a lot in, in reading about my fellow brothers and sisters in the Bible who needed their encouragement. One of my favourites, of course, is Elijah. Elijah is one of those great prophets. You know, he's kind of the, the hero prophets. We, don't, we never treated our prophets well. In the Old Testament, they didn't like the prophets. They didn't listen to them. They often stoned them. They did so in the New Testament too. They stoned Stephen. And Elijah is one of those prophets. And in a time when his, his day and his age... They're all turning away from God to the Baals. They're worshipping idols, sacrificing their children. And Elijah comes along and he says, enough. And of course, you've got the famous moment on Mount Carmel. And he says, all right, if Baal is real, may he strike that altar, set it afire, and we'll see what happens. And we'll see what if, what if the living God does this to the altar that I build. And he does it, and of course, soaks it in water. And we know what happens if you read the story. It's a great moment. And Elijah the prophet is his great prophet. He's won the day. Yet, in the very next turn of events, because he's going to get persecuted and he feels so alone, he wants to curl up and die. He has his Elijah moment. He has his bad day. And what does he need? He needs to be reminded by God there are others There are others who have not bowed the knee to the Baals. There are others who will encourage you. He is encouraged by others to keep standing firm. So firstly, why do we do church? Firstly, we belong here. Secondly, to encourage each other. And thirdly, and this is the one that might be a little bit hard to get our head around, but if you just bear with me for a few moments, I think it's vitally important. Seven billion people in the world need to be reminded, need to hear this. We gather in Christ's church to be truly human. To be truly human. Being part of the church is part of being truly a human being. So if you look at the Bible, and we saw this picture in Ezekiel 36, if you noticed, in the Bible, from Old Testament right through to New Testament, we see this overarching picture of a theme, and the theme is God scatters because of sin and he gathers in Christ. He scatters and he gathers. So in Ezekiel 36, you see this picture. God says, because you have sin, I've scattered you and I will scatter you. But because I will save you, I will gather you. So that we see in the New Testament, 
This word for church doesn't mean a building with stone walls and a nice roof with stained glass windows. The word church does not mean that. The word church literally means gather. It's a gathering, it's people. Church is people. So when you look at each other in the congregation here today, you're actually looking at God's grand plan for the universe. I'm not sure you thought that, did you? Like, you're like, oh, a Kerrang? You know, we're, we're kind of oddballs together. No, no, you are God's plan for the universe. You are God's plan for his world. You are God's plan for people. And if you want to be truly human, you want to say what it means to be human, it is to be gathered in God's plan for the universe forever. Now, that doesn't mean that if you don't go to church, you exist not as a human, that you cease to be a human if you don't go to church. But what it means is God's intention for human beings is to gather people in Christ. That's it. I work in university ministry at the moment, and uh, a lot of students, it's quite fashionable for Christian students to say things like, particularly outdoor education students, nothing against them, you know, they're good friends of mine, and they recognise, Christians recognise this too, the problem with this, but they'll say things like, I'm going to be the best outdoor education student I can be, because that's God's plan. God's plan is to, for me to, to uh, care for the earth so it's a better environment. Well, they'll say, God's plan for me is, is, is to be a nurse, because we need to actually have better nurses in, in Africa, and, and all these things are true, but is God's plan for the universe to have better nurses? I think it's a small part of the plan. The bigger plan is not, that's not the plan. God's plan for the universe is to save his people for eternity. A friend of mine works in the wine industry. He's a Christian, he's a, an elder down in um, church in Geelong actually. And I used to ask him, said, Luke, what's going on? What's happening? And he goes, oh, you know, saving the world from bad wine. You see, his, picture, his point is this. We do lots of stuff and that's great to do lots of things, but in the end, God's big plan is not my little plan. God's big plan is not to save the world from bad wine or to save the world from not enough nurses or to save the world from bad stewardship of his creation. God's plan is to gather people and save them for eternity. To be truly human is to be in his church, to be his saved person. You may have heard it said, Christians don't need to go to church. Well, that's fundamentally wrong. To be Christian is to be churching. To be a Christian is to be someone that belongs here. You belong to each other to encourage each other to be truly part of God's plan to be human. So church matters. Gathering matters. We go to church because that's why Jesus died. It's been said before, a preacher in Sydney said recently that when Jesus shows the world his church, he says this, see that church, that body of believers in Kerrang, that's my work. That's mine. When Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the man who sits on the throne right now, the man who is God, when he points to the world, he says, world, I want to point you to something else bigger than you. Here it is. It's the church. That's my work. So the question is, at the end of this, do you belong there? Do you belong there? Do you belong in church? If you're a Christian, yes. 
You belong to church, not in some abstract concept, but you belong, literally, you ought to be part of the church, gathering. And that means you go to church and we gather to encourage each other because we belong and and to hold fast and to do those things, to be part of God's plan, knowing that even church won't be perfect yet. People go, well, I can't keep going to this church because it's just not, it's just not perfect. It's not, not right, you know. I want to find a better church. If you're always trying to find the better church, can I encourage you, don't think that chase will always end in perfection yet. See, when you go to church, you ought to expect to find imperfect people. We're not saved by performance, we're saved by grace. Which means when you find a church, there won't always be perfect things about it. It'll be a little bit imperfect, in fact, because it's saved not by performance, but by grace. And so we go to church, no matter how imperfect it is, we go because we belong, to encourage each other, to be truly human and hold fast to Jesus. Do you belong? Do you belong here? It's a question we started with and it's what we finished with. And the answer is, if you belong to Jesus, yes. So the first question for you, if you don't yet belong to Jesus, is why not? Put your trust in Jesus and be part of God's plan for the universe. Find salvation. And if you are a Christian then remember that church is where you belong and it is a foretaste of heaven. It is God's plan. That is the trajectory, the plan. So that as we gather, we remember why we're here. Do you belong there? I want to finish by reading Revelation 21, which is the end point of the church. In Revelation 21, we see the final history-making culmination of God's plan for his church, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is a picture of the church into eternity. Do you belong there? Let's pray you do. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for gathering us. We thank you that we're gathered here this morning to be here, to hear your word, but more than that, to hear your word so that it changes us, the gospel that shapes us. We pray that we would, in our thinking, be rearranged and to understand what it is to church, to gather, to encourage and to belong. And we pray that we would, first and foremost, belong to Jesus. That is, if we have not yet trusted in Jesus, we pray that we would turn to him now and trust in him as our saviour and as our Lord. And in doing so, we pray that we would be encouraged by each other, by one another, to hold fast, to stand firm, trusting in Jesus, to belong and to encourage one another as we see the day approaching when we will step into eternity as part of your plan, as the church forever.
And we pray this, giving you thanks and praise. We pray, we ask these things so that your name be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our last hymn, hymn 294. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. this morning. We thank you that we were able to sing in response and praise you. We pray that we would now live lives in response to your word, that we would live and gather as your people, as your church and serve as your church, spurring each other on, serving in love and good works, knowing that the church is saved by a great saviour and that the church's Lord is Jesus. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.